Welcome to everyone this morning. I pray that uh, you've had a good week. Um, pray that as the restrictions are easing, you've had an opportunity to be catching up with one another, uh, seeing one another, which is a which is a beautiful thing. I know we've had we've done that we've had that opportunity as well. It's a beautiful thing to go and uh, reconnect with people face to face. So um, as the as the restrictions ease, uh, please be, be encouraged to keep doing that. Be encouraged to to be looking out for one another and to. To look out particularly for those that perhaps um, you think would would welcome a call or maybe welcome a visit, um, and and yeah maybe maybe particularly be mindful of that as these uh, restrictions are being eased as as well. You know it's interesting as human beings what happens because I think sometimes we we create new habits um, unintentionally we create new habits and I think this lockdown potentially has created a new habit a habit of you know what, it's kind of nice just to be at home and not go anywhere. Um, but I think uh, as, as Christians, it's really important that we, we're, we're careful, we're, we're aware of that habit that can sometimes work against us, um, where, you know, we want to be intentional about reaching out and connecting with people uh, and being part of, a, of the church community and being part of the other the body of Christ. So, you know, if the temptation is sometimes, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really relaxed in the way I'm doing life at the moment, uh, maybe just just be mindful that that sometimes may not be helpful, um, and that there are people who you know would love to have contact from you or to be contacted um, as well. Uh, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on this morning. Guess what? We're gonna we're gonna look again at the wonderful story of Philemon and Onesimus, and maybe even today we'll finish it. Um, and so it's it's for us an opportunity to look more closely into the lives of these men. Uh, and what we learned from them. So let's pray for, for the message, for the word this morning. Uh, let's pray that the Lord um, speaks to our hearts uh, this morning. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for, for this morning. We thank you that we have the opportunity to still, still hear your word as we do at other times during prayer nights and Bible studies. Uh, just thank you in testimony nights. We thank you, Father, that you continue to work through this pandemic. And, and Father, even though the restrictions are easing we, we thank you so much that we can keep doing this until we as much as as long as we need to but we pray most importantly that your spirit is working and i pray that your spirit works this morning and speaks to the lives of those that are listening uh, i know there are going to be people among us this morning who are really hungry for your word and i know there's going to be people among us father that aren't necessarily as enthusiastic but father i pray that you speak you speak the word that has to be spoken to the little ones and to the older ones we thank you for this time uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, like I said, uh, uh, we're going we're gonna to keep uh, looking at this story today and perhaps even, even finish this story because God, God works good in all things, doesn't he? God works good in all things. And this is a beautiful story of how God continues to work good despite the fact of what seems to be temporarily a problem. And, and you would know that experience, wouldn't you? You know that feeling of when something's, a problem, and it's often it's it's a temporary problem, <clears throat> and you would know and experience what that means. And so God is working good in a situation that seems problematic and seems almost uh, a trial that for some people might be really really difficult. And um, we know that even the song that we sang or, or our brother sang before us before, God is working in these situations. He's He's a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. He's a light in darkness because this is the God that we serve. You know, the, the unseen in the human sense is very much visual 
in the divine sense. You know, God is seeing things. God is working things. Even though in our hearts and minds and eyes we see roadblocks, <laughs> God sees great openings. God sees great openings. We know the famous story of the Israelites who came to the Red Sea. They saw, they saw roadblock. God saw a massive opening because this is where God works these situations. He is truly a way a way maker. And so we, we become familiar with the lives of people in the scripture. We become familiar with the lives of Philemon and Onesimus. And sometimes you, when, you, when we study their lives for long enough, it's almost like we've become really acquainted with their ways and we understand maybe something of their personality and their experiences. Just like when we study the life of Jesus or study the life of Moses or, or Joshua or when we studied the life of Elijah, we became more and more familiar with their experiences and it's it's quite fascinating as I contemplated this chapter or this book such a short book yeah like I said less than 500 words you know this this short letter why God would choose to have this letter in his word because when you think about it, it at the end of the day what it is it's the experience of one man and another man you know it's a testimony of one man and another man. It's a testimony of two brothers. And really, at the end of the day, in that time, you can only imagine there would have been tons. There would have been stacks of people who would have had experiences with one another, uh, testimonies that they could they could share about what was going on between them. You know, you could talk about what was happening in families and what was happening in friendships, what was happening in workplaces. There would have been tons of testimonies that the that God could have put into the scriptures, but he chose to put this very simple yet profound testimony of Philemon and Onesimus. Why? So, so God has chosen to make this into the scriptures. And so as a Christian, it is absolutely fundamental that we are familiar with what it's trying to say to us. If it made it in the scriptures, we must be familiar with it. We must be clear about what it's trying to communicate to us because God chose not another testimony. God chose their testimony to make it into a scripture as a whole letter. And so we, let's continue to be familiar with it. And even in the three weeks or so that I've shared this with you, I'm sure there's a lot of things that I haven't shared with you. And, and so you can continue to familiarise yourself with Onesimus and, and Philemon so that you can continue to get the richness of this word because God is working good and he's seeing this in this experience. God gives us this book that we are very familiar. And if we're absolutely serious about our relationship with God and our relationship with our brothers and sisters, then we must be familiar with this book. We must be familiar with this letter. You know, sometimes I was thinking um, recently, it's it's not really difficult. It's not, it's really simple what I try and communicate to you most weeks. Most weeks I really try and communicate to you one of two things and sometimes even both. My desire for you, my desire for the church is that you would learn how to love perfectly and how to serve faithfully that you would learn how to love perfectly and serve faithfully. And if you do this, you're in a good place. You're in a good place. And in some shape or form, most messages is tr are trying to communicate this, these important truths to you, to love perfectly and to serve faithfully. And this book talks about both. It talks about men who are learning to love perfectly and serve faithfully. We're talking about men who are confronted with the greatest obstacle in life, which isn't the devil, though the devil is an obstacle, the greatest obstacle in life, and that's themselves, themselves, their own nature, their own nature, your nature, my nature, that we all experience, that says something about, uh, sorry, that, that, become, that gets in the way of loving perfectly and serving faithfully. 
And when we come to the end of ourselves, we experience the capacity to be able to do this the way God has designed his people to do it, to love perfectly and to serve faithfully. You know, at the end of the day, if you want to be a Christian, you have to be acquainted with these things. You cannot, you cannot say I'm a Christian and and, and dismiss these ideas. So this morning I ask you, how, how has your journey been in loving perfectly? How has your experience been in serving faithfully? Where are you in these areas? Can you confidently say, as a child of God, I love perfectly. As a child of God, I serve faithfully. And these men, these stories bring this out for us because they are they, they reveal to us more and more about ourselves and they reveal to us more and more about the character of, of God. And so it's, temp- it's a temptation for us to say things like, oh, when we read the scriptures, oh, but that's Jesus. Oh, that's Paul, you know, as if to say these are, these are men that somehow we can never be like. But can we say, oh, but that's Onesimus. Oh, yeah, yeah, but that's Philemon, you know. Are, are we as bold to say that? And so at the end of the day, what Onesimus and Philemon are doing and nothing less than what Jesus and Paul were doing. And so not to discount or minimise who Jesus was, but at the end of the day, we are walking in his steps. We are walking in the footsteps of Christ. And this is a beautiful story that we should be challenged never to say, oh, but that's Jesus. How do you expect me to do this? Or that's Paul, the Apostle Paul. How do you expect me to do this? We should be challenged never to say that because that's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith doesn't say that's Jesus or Paul. The Christian faith says because it is Jesus, because it is Paul, I'm able to do the same thing. This is faith. This is faith. And we love hearing these stories, these testimonies. And, you know, it's beautiful. These stories are not, are not dissimilar to our own. And so you, you, me, could have made the New Testament if God had chosen it because all he would have done was, was, was looked at how you dealt with something with a brother or a sister and seen how valuable it would have been for the world to have known and then included it in the Scripture. If the Scripture was still being written, there's no... There's a huge possibility that he would take your experience even recently and have included it because he saw in it value for the world as a testimony to the faith in Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? So when we read Philemon Onesimus, we are reading us. We are reading us, our experiences and our lives. And I think what a beautiful thing to be able to do. Last week, I think it was last week, we I shared with you how love and faith are uh, are characteristics of the Christian. We saw how uh, in verse 5 uh, the, and, and verse 7 how, how he was a refresher of the saints. You know, one chapter 1, verse 5, and chapter 1, verse 7, there was love and faith and a refresher. He was a refresher of the saints. And this is a, a wonderful opportunity for us to continue to remember that our faith is built, um, sorry, that love flows out of our faith And because of this faith and love that we have, we continue to refresh the souls of our brothers and sisters. You remember I shared that with you recently? I think it was last week. Are you in a position today? Is your life in Christ uh, so much the case that your soul, your life refreshes the souls of other people? It may not be anything that you notice you're doing. You're just being authentic. You're just being genuine. You're just living out your faith. And because of this, you may not even be thinking about it, but the things you say and the way you communicate to people refreshes their souls. You you look out for them. You care for them. You listen to them. You're you're interested in them. You want the best for them. 
and you love them, you even pray for them, but you refresh their souls. And I pray and I believe that every Christian who loves the Lord Jesus Christ is someone who has the capacity to refresh their soul, the souls of others, because they become part of God's big story for them. They become, they see what God is working and they are working with the work of God or they are part of the work of God. You know, just recently I was went for a walk and I, I saw this father and he was, um, um, he had his little child in a little. On a, he, he was on a mountain bike riding on the on the on the path, and his little child was probably one year old, one year old child sitting on a little seat facing outward as he's riding his mountain bike. And the father was working hard on this mountain bike, going up a bit of a hill. And this it was quite funny to watch this child because this child was just sitting in the front, going like this, like 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 it was kind of like a nothing thing thing for this child. It was just like. And the father was working hard and the, the child's head was sort of bouncing like there was really kind of a nothing experience for the child. And I thought to myself, how interesting that picture, that image is of sometimes the, the, the mindset that Christian falls into, that the father is working hard, pedaling away, pedaling away in order to accomplish the things that God, what he wants for us. And we can't see this big picture. We just go through life unattached to the things that God is wanting to do, thinking to ourselves that life just goes on. But rather to see the big picture that God is peddling, God is working, God is moving, and we had to open our eyes and get connected with all the things around us, that he, the adventure that God has for us, and rather than just sit there thinking to ourselves, just another day. This is not how God works. God works. God has seated us in a position where he's moving, and we ought to look with excitement around us and move with him. Amen? This is the life of the Christian. This is the experience of the Christian. We're out there refreshing the souls of saints. We're out there loving perfectly, serving faithfully. And Philemon and Onesimus, again, those experiences for us. We saw last week that, um, verse 11, that what, what was useless became useful. Look at verse 11. Then we'll continue with our scripture this morning. Verse 11, chapter 1. It says, who once was unprofitable. You know, this is a really interesting word, unprofitable, because my understanding, my reading of this word in its original is the word useless. And we don't like to use that word, but, but it's an interesting word, when, you know, and it's not meant to be, I think, in a degrading sense, but really he was useless. He was unprofitable. There was nothing he could have given you that was profitable. You know, so this is element that he was unprofitable or useless to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. And he's taken from being useless to becoming extremely useful for the kingdom. And remember, we saw that the two apostles, I think it was John and Peter, who were untrained men, and they were astounded by what they were doing, and they'd realized they'd been with Jesus. You know, brothers and sisters, this morning, I want to remind you of something very, very significant, very, very important that the devil will rob you of. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, your life goes from being whatever people considered it to be, useless, unprofitable, meaningless, whatever people considered your life to be, whatever people still consider your life to be, that God takes you and transforms you into a kingdom of God that is full of meaning and full of purpose because God does not ever dismiss and say to you as a child of God who trusts in him, I don't need you. Every member of the body of Christ who trusts in the Lord, who puts their faith in the Lord, who walks with the Lord, becomes very profitable. 
for the kingdom of God. You know, the world even gets this idea. Do you understand? The world understands this concept that how what seems to be insignificant can have significant impact. I want to share with you a couple of movies that I know that you'd be familiar with and consider this concept. If you're familiar with the story of Annie, little girl, little orphan girl Annie, yeah, insignificant in the world's eyes, or little orphan girl living in an orphanage, what is she going to be able to do? Finds herself in the house of a billionaire who's cold, hard, mechanical, you know, everything's by the book, almost disgusted by, by her affection initially. But as she, as she continues to show love, as she continues to show affection, as she continues to shine with her spark, as she continues to do these things and she's persistent and she's persistent, she wears this cold, hard man down. And what seems to be insignificant becomes this most significant transformation of this man, this billionaire, who, whose heart cannot then leave her. You see, at the end of the day, God transforms all things because what he ends up doing is he takes you who the world sees as insignificant and places you in the kingdom by his Holy Spirit to do a work in order to refresh and change the lives of other people. This is you, beloved. This is you. This is me. Because we're good? (laughs) Not at all. Because we're smart? Not at all. Because somehow we've got this amazing capacity to memorize things? Not at all. It's because we love Jesus. Because we love Jesus. Trust him. Trust him. The other one that I love is an animation called Despicable Me. You might like it as well too. I like Despicable Me. It's quite funny. It's quite cute. But if you watch Despicable Me, you would remember some key characters, won't you? You remember Gru, who again, not necessarily cold, but evil. (laughs) Evil. Wants to steal the moon. You know, he's evil. And then you have those three orphan girls again, who really seem like they're nothing you know, insignificant. And to him initially they are. He finds them, he finds himself having them in their home, in his home. And so at the beginning they're quite insignificant to him. He almost treats them like animals. But as the movie goes on, and again their spark, their love, their affection, their cuteness, whatever it might be, wins the wicked heart of this man over to the point at the end of the movie he's acting like a child again. At the end of the day, what is insignificant and what is meaningless becomes the most significant thing to change this man's life because this is what can be done. And so the world understands this concept, how much more the child of the living living God who takes the people out of this dark world who perhaps had no purpose, no meaning in this life and is able to transform them to become very profitable for the kingdom. He did exactly the same thing with Onesimus and he was saying to Philemon, Philemon, listen to me, this man, this man is full of profit. Profit. This man is full of usefulness. Paul must have been so convinced of how authentic Onesimus's heart or change was. He must have been absolutely convinced because you wouldn't write a reference like this if you doubted. But he would have been absolutely convinced that Onesimus, his life had genuinely changed. And he's saying to Philemon, Philemon, listen to me. Yeah, before he let you down big time, but I'm telling you the truth. He is full of profit now. He is a man who loves the Lord. It's like he's a man who's on fire for the Lord. Take him back. Take him back. Look at verse, um, verse 12. 
I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. Whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. How beautiful the heart of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, I'm sending him back to you, although he could have helped me here. But I'm sending, it back, I'm sending him back to you. And he says something really significant, but not without your consent. I could have kept him, but I wanted your consent because what I want you to do for the Lord, I don't want you to do out of compulsion. I don't want you to do because the Apostle Paul is saying, you have to do this, Philemon. I'm not asking you to do this, Philemon, because you're hearing Jesus say to you, now, Philemon, you have to do this. You know, like sometimes a child feels like their parent says to them, you have to clean your room, you know, and that feeling of, oh, if I don't do it, I'm going to get into trouble. Paul's saying to Philemon here, Philemon, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not asking you to do this out of compulsion. I'm asking you to do it because out of a heart that's voluntary, you want, you're willing, you're willing to do this. I tell you the truth, brothers and sisters. When I watch and observe the church and I see a people who do things out of compulsion and then I see a people who do things willingly, I tell you the truth. Firstly, it's very, very clear, the distinction. Secondly, the refreshing of my heart when you see people do things willingly. When you see people do things with this joyfulness in their heart, this, this sense of they understand the bigger picture and the purpose. They understand that what's going on is bigger than themselves. And they, they, they are able to stay connected with this idea. And so they find themselves doing things and acting in ways that you would almost think to be unreasonable. But they do it out of a love for God and a love for people. They are learning to love perfectly and serve faithfully. I love a story in the Old Testament. I won't, I won't spend too much time in this because I do want to finish this book today. But I love a story in the Old Testament where God was asking his people to bring things to build the tabernacle. And if you've known me long enough, you know that I love this story, that God was building a tabernacle in the wilderness, yeah? And so he was asking his people to bring things to help build the tabernacle and to bring the skills that God has given them to build their tabernacle. Listen to these, some of these verses. I'm just going to read them out. I don't want you to turn to them. And, the Mos- and Moses spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded saying, take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, get that? Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. So Moses sets the scene. He says, you know, bring your things because we're going to build this tabernacle, but bring it with a willing heart. Then listen to this later on in the chapter. And all who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasp, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, and so forth. And says, anyone who's, at, who's skilled like this, come, help out in making these things. So if you're willing, bring the things. If you're willing, come with your skills. Sounds like the church, doesn't it? Goes on to say in the chapter, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, that everyone came whose heart was stirred. And 
everyone whose spirit was willing. Yeah, no compulsion. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and for the holy garments. How beautiful is that? Whose hearts were stirred and whose minds were willing. It goes on to say this, verse, uh, verse 29. Then the children of Israel brought a free will offering. Not compulsion, a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work to the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded them to be done. So he had the willing people bringing things, bringing skills, hearts were stirred, free will offering. What do you expect is going to happen? This is a beautiful picture of the church. What do you expect is going to happen? Well, listen to what happens in the next chapter. Then all the craftsmen and all the doing uh, who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from his work that he was doing. They spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work of the Lord, which the Lord commanded us to do. They had a problem, but it was a good problem. They were like saying to Moses, Moses, these people are so stirred and so willing and so free in their offerings that now we have more than enough. You've got to tell them to slow down. Isn't that a beautiful problem to have in a church? I think so. And you know what's even more beautiful? Because people aren't doing it out of compulsion. It's willing. There's a willingness because of their love for God and their love for people. And Paul said to Onesimus, to Philemon, very, very clearly the same thing. He says, I'm telling you something here because I wanted your consent. I didn't want you to feel compelled to do this. I wanted this to be something you wanted to do. This is the Christian life. It's not a set of rules of do's and don'ts. It's a willing heart because you love Jesus. It's a relationship. My wife doesn't give me a set of rules to live by. I do the things I do because I love her. It's the same thing. It's not compulsion. It's voluntary. Let's continue our, our text. Verse 15 and 16. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And Paul's obviously playing on a few words here, but he's essentially saying to Philemon, it's this, did you know that God works all things for good? And did you know that perhaps he departed <laughs> so that something could happen? Perhaps he ran away from you because so God had to do something. Perhaps he even stole from you because God had to do something. And what God had to do was to return him to you now more than a slave, now a brother. How beautiful is that? What we see is a roadblock. God sees as a massive opening. Amen. Look at the next verse, verse 17. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. If you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Do you know how important this verse is? Paul would have been so convinced that this man's change was authentic that he's saying to Philemon this, I want you to look at him like you look at me. Now, you don't just say that about anyone. Like I couldn't say that about someone if I wasn't convinced. 
that that would be that that would be um, unfair. It would be unfair for me to send someone off to you and say, I want you to receive them as you receive me. But Paul would have been so convinced that this man's transformation was genuine and authentic that he was saying to Philemon, Philemon, I want you to consider him as a partner like me. Onesimus' life must have been so transformed, his faith so genuine, his life so real that Paul looked at him and thought, this man has the spirit of God. Go, Onesimus, go and bless your master. You could bless me, but go and bless your master. How beautiful is that? How beautiful to have that reputation and to have those words spoken by the Apostle Paul. Again, my brothers and sisters, when we live this way authentically, our lives make the scripture. Our lives are the life of Onesimus. And Paul would have written just as much about you as he would have written about Onesimus. Verse 18, but if he's wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention that you owe me even your own life, your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, and this is what we talked about when it comes to refreshing. You know, this is a beautiful thing because I, I don't know. I don't know if Paul knew what he was doing here intentionally or whether the Spirit of God was moving in Paul in such a way that he was wanting to communicate something to us, but I see in here a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. I see in this a beautiful picture. Paul saying to Philemon, Philemon, listen, if he's done anything wrong and maybe even stolen from him, I want you to put that on my account, Philemon, but I want you to remember something. You also owe me your life because maybe something Paul did in Philemon's life before that would have rescued Philemon of something. Maybe he, maybe he's talking about his spiritual rescue. Maybe he's talking about some material rescue. I'm not sure. Most likely it's a spiritual rescue. But it says, Philemon, listen to me. If he owes you anything, remember you owe me your life, so put it on my account. He says, sorry, put it on my account, but remember you owe me even your life. What's Philemon going to do? Remember, he has to do it voluntary. But this is beautiful picture of Jesus. Look at this. If he's wronged you or owes you anything, put it on my account. That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus says. He's my child. Put it on my account. I, Paul, am writing it with my own hand. Now, in those days, it wasn't unusual for people like Paul to have a scribe. But he says, you know, this letter, I'm writing it with my own hand, just like Jesus took the debt of sin with it nailed in his hands. Not to mention that you even owe me your own life, and we owe Jesus our very life. How can we not move in righteousness knowing these three important things that it's placed on the account of Jesus because he nailed it to the cross and we owe him our lives. How can we not be moved in righteousness knowing these things? Amen. Paul, knowingly or unknowingly, was, I think, reflecting the beauty of Christ in this, demonstrating the gospel in his own very life. And he says in verse 20, refresh my heart in the Lord. How beautiful is that? Refresh my heart in the Lord, because we become a vessel for good to others. Verse 21. 
And having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Isn't this a wonderful, wonderful reputation? Could you imagine the Apostle Paul saying about you, being confident of your obedience? Again, when we say I can't be like Jesus or we can't be like Paul, can we be like Philemon? Absolutely. And I believe like Jesus and Paul, but can we be like Philemon? Absolutely. Paul was confident that Philemon was going to do what he asked him to do, being confident of your obedience. And he says even more than that, uh, knowing that you will do even more than I say. What a wonderful reputation because this is what a righteous man and a righteous woman does. They walk with a confidence about their, their righteousness. You can be confident that a righteous man or woman will do the things of God. Sure, there might be trials. It might be difficult. There might be hurdles. They might wrestle with things. But you can be confident that a righteous man and a righteous woman will walk in the direction of doing the will of God. And so Paul says, I get this. I know and am confident you will do, you will do what I say and even more. Brothers and sisters, is this true of you as well? Are you a man? Are you a woman? That there is confidence because of your selflessness that you will do righteousness for the kingdom, that you will do what is righteous. You will love perfectly and serve faithfully. God is working this so that we can understand and that we can hear and that we can learn. Then I, and then I love, I love um, verse 22. But meanwhile, and there's just kind of a, some nice little twists and almost would make a nice movie. There's this nice little twists in this letter. Paul says, and meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers, because God hears your prayers, Philemon, because you're a righteous man, God hears your prayers. He says, I trust that through your prayers, I shall be granted to you. <laughs> now, I'm thinking to myself, what does Philemon do? Does he stop praying? What does Philemon do? Of course not. He's going to continue to pray. But what I'm particularly interested in is, is Philemon going to do what Paul is going to ask him to do because he loves God and he's faithful to God or because the Apostle Paul is only perhaps days or weeks away? That when the Apostle Paul comes and comes to his house because the Apostle Paul is saying, you know what, I'm going to come to you soon because you've been praying for me to come to you. Does he want to do the right thing because he's going to have to give an account to Paul or does he want to do the right thing because he has to give an account to Jesus? Well, we know, we know confidently this man is going to do the right thing because of his love for Jesus. That he didn't need Paul to come to his house so Paul can check up on him that he needed Jesus because of his love for Jesus. You don't need people to check up on you, brothers and sisters. I don't need to come to your house to check that you're being faithful to your husband or your wife. I don't need to come to your house to check that you're loving your children. I don't need to come up to your house to check that you're loving your family, your friends. I don't need to do this because God, that's, what, that's not what Christians do. Christians live life. Their highest accountability is the Lord himself. And Paul says, I'm coming to you. But I, I believe Paul in his heart would have known that Philemon would have done this whether he came or not. This is loving perfectly. 
And then finally he says this, and he, he mentions a few people which are a wonderful reminder of how who we are in Christ, just like he started this letter, referring to people like um, well, Philemon himself as a fellow labourer, his wife potentially as a fellow soldier, um, oh, sorry, his son potentially as a fellow soldier, and then he ends, uh, he ends by saying this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, in Christ Jesus greets you. That's Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow labourers. This is who we are in Christ. We're just serving faithfully. We're serving faithfully. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And if I can leave you with something this morning, brothers and sisters, I'll leave you with the same thing. In order to be able to do this, may his grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, be with you and your spirit. May may his grace be the very thing that empowers you, strengthens you, motivates you, encourages you, keeps opening up the eyes that you need to open up by his grace as you humble yourself before the Lord, as you receive his word in humility, as you take upon yourself a responsibility, but in humility, may his grace be with you to continue to love perfectly and to serve faithfully. Let me pray for us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this amazing letter that you allow to be in your scriptures, a letter that um, reminds us of our duty to man and our love to you. Father in heaven, we pray that we may um, take this with a seriousness, a seriousness in our, our love for you and our love for others. That Father, what we see is roadblocks. We can understand how you see them. And if there's anything, Father, that uh, anyone has done to us or we have done to them, that there is healing, there is forgiveness, and there is restoration. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't called us to hold grudges, Thank you, Lord, that you haven't called us to be without purpose, but you have called us to a life of faith and love. And we bless your name for this, Lord. We bless your name. And I pray that you bless your people as they meditate on your word and as they go forth as lights in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.